Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind, the podcast from the staff here at DebtWire ABS. We'll take you behind the curtains of the asset-backed securities markets and the loans that they help finance. I'm Al Yoon, and I'll be hosting today. Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind. Uh, today is June 25th. Now, three plus months into the coronavirus crisis, and so, of course, there's no shortage of topics to tackle uh, when it comes to consumer and real estate lending, uh, things that we write about here at DebtWire ABS. Um, today, we're going to take a quick look uh, behind the curtains of lending and commercial real estate, uh, much of which can't escape the effects of local shutdowns, et cetera. Um, but just because some, area, some areas have become riskier, it also doesn't mean that they're bad investments, as our reporters, Maura Sadovi and Guelda Voyen, uh, both with us today, have pointed out. Hello, Maura and Guelda. Welcome. Thanks, Al. Good morning. Hi. Sure. How's it going? Uh, and good, thanks. And to shed light on this sector, we have Gregory Michaud, head of real estate finance at Voya Investment Management. Uh, Greg oversees an $11.6 billion portfolio of loans on stabilized multi-tenant properties. Uh, welcome, Greg. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Greg, uh, just to start things off, uh, tell us, uh, if you could, about how uh, you've shifted any strategies since March in any sure. property type. Um, sort of, uh, you know, a 6,000-foot view question, but uh, something to get us started off with. Sure. So, you know, we lend in all, you know, prior pre-COVID, we were lending in all asset classes. Uh, we primarily liked industrial. Uh, we were overweight industrial going into this. Um, and we still obviously like industrial. Industrial has actually been the, the shining star through this uh, uh, through this crisis. And quite frankly, it was the it was the one of the better performing asset classes during the global financial crisis. Um, so we're we we like that asset class. The asset class that that we're backing off of, or are very particular on, our our uh, is retail. Uh, retail, um, while you know to to what you mentioned before, retail. Uh, there's some very good retail out there that we'd still look at, and then there's the, you know the marginal uh, retail that we uh, might have even done pre-COVID. We're just not looking at right now. So it's you know we like the grocery anchored, a little bit of uh, local space to it is is what we would uh, key in on on retail. Uh, hospitality probably can't get financed right now. We do have a little bit of it in the portfolio, and we wouldn't probably be adding any more on for the for the for the near term. And that really leaves us with office, and uh, once again office. We like it, but we're going to be very particular on, on where we're, where we're going to do office. Um, and finally, multifamily. Uh, multifamily is an asset class that uh, that we're 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 definitely uh, lending in. Uh, we saw rent collections do quite well through this, uh, better than we thought. And Freddie and Fannie are also uh, pumping a lot of liquidity into that market, so it's uh, one of the better markets uh, right now, along with uh, industrial. Great, thank you. Uh, I'm going to kick it off to Maura, who's got, uh, I think, a laundry list of questions for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just interested in what you said there, though. Um, in terms of uh, retail, uh, is is there, are, have you started to make any loans? I know you're backing up, but uh, do you see any in the grocery area? Are, are you making loans yet? Um, there's a lot of interest in uh, sort of the reopening of the loan market and, and uh 
you know, concern about the so-called stranded loans that are maturing that, uh, you know, are going to need refinancing. So I'm just wondering uh, f for you, uh, what does the reopening look like? Where are you, um, you know, in these in these areas uh, like retail, is there a t is the, are there loans that you're doing now? Sure. Um, so I will tell you, we never got out of the market. Um, we kept lending through uh, through this. So uh, we originated loans and we closed loans. Um, so we've never stopped. The market more or less stopped mm -hmm. on us. Um, but really, to your point on the stranded loans, that's what we've really been doing uh, quite a bit of. Our loans that were um, left at the altar by CMBS uh, execution by, or by CLO execution, so anything that was going through a securitization, um, that is what we financed uh, quite a bit of. So where, where that has uh, fallen has been quite a bit of industrial is, is what we've been doing because this industrial deals, we're, we're getting ready to go into a securitization. Uh, the lender walked because of, uh, because of the issues in the market, and then we came in and financed it. Now, what I would note is CMBS was levering these properties at a much higher lever leverage point than we were. Um, so if they were 75, 80% loan to value, we were down to 55, 60% loan to value. And the borrower was really looking at us to do a, uh, what we call more or less a bridge loan. So they put a floater on it, um, you know, just get the deal financed because it was a purchase most likely. And, and they'll wait for later days when the market kind of opens back up. So we've been doing a lot of the stranded loans lately. So are you buying them out of deals that didn't get to the market or are you? They, they never got financed. So they were going through the financing okay. CMBS and then CMBS walked. Mm -hmm. um, so then we came back in, uh, did the financing um, because like I said, they were left at the altar. Okay, interesting. So you said the stranded loans, you, you would be willing to go up to about 55 LTV, um, which seems pretty standard for um, this type of lending, um, what should borrowers do about if they were depending on or planning at least on getting a 75% LTV from a conduit loan? Did they just find equity in their pockets or do you have discussions with them around those things? Are they bringing in a partner or? Great question. Um, so we actually had one deal um, that we were actually closing on, and the par the borrowers, um, the, the the GP, the general partner, his limited partners that were funding the deal were all hotel guys. And obviously, uh, if you're a hotel guy, you wanted to conserve liquidity. Um, and so he actually went out and fought, bought, brought in new uh, pri uh, preferred equity uh, people. And that's what we saw in the uh, industrial deal that we financed. It was a they they brought in preferred equity people to get the leverage down. So. Um, so effectively, they're still getting the leverage. It just was coming in a, in the form of preferred equity, um, and, and for all intents and purposes. That's interesting. Um, have you gotten a sense of who those fast-acting press equity lenders are? They must be getting uh, paid pretty well. Uh, yes, they did. Uh, they're getting decent returns. Um, they typically are, I, I, you know, and I'm probably using the, the wrong expression, uh, family office type people. Um, so wealthy individuals, mm -hmm. uh, a group of them, you know, probably more, like I said, more like family office types. Um, it wasn't institutional um, for the most part because, I, you know, look, institutional couldn't move that fast. And so these were um, our wealthy individual family type offices that came in uh, with, the, with, the, with the preferred equity. And they were getting better yields than they would have gotten pre-COVID for sure. 
Like what, what's sort of the range of those yields? You know, I don't know. I, I can only um, back into those numbers because I don't know what their what the the entire deal was with you know because there will be waterfalls and all that, and so we don't get the waterfalls. But you know, I suspect these guys are probably somewhere around that twelve to fourteen percent range, um, if I had to guess. Mm -hmm. And then prior to COVID, what what would they have been? Do you think? You know, there things were getting compressed because um, you know it was getting it was getting tough out there. So. You know, deals in general were probably, you know, on an apartment deal, for instance, was probably sub seven. So a preferred guy probably was getting that eight to 10, maybe uh, pre-COVID. Um, so mm -hmm. it definitely was a, a pickup from what they were getting pre-COVID for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what's the size of uh, like the industrial de uh, loans that you're, you're picking up, uh, you know? Yeah, our average deal size is yeah, our average deal size is is uh, you know probably twenty five to thirty million dollars is our average deal size. We'll go as low as ten million and we'll go as high as seventy five million. But right now in this market, our sweet spot is really in that call it ten to forty to fifty million dollar range. And so if we can average out around twenty five million dollars, that that is uh, that is something that we prefer because it's a good bite size. Uh, for our um, uh, for our clients, uh, for our, for the people that we're investing money for. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing a lot more competition in that space? I mean, other other lenders have also expressed a strong affection for industrial self storage debt uh, post COVID. Um, are they infringing on your territory now? So, you know, it, after the financial crisis, everybody started piling into um, industrial. We were 40% of our portfolio was industrial going into the global financial crisis in, in 09. Um, now, we backed off that because, to your point, it got very competitive. People saw how it performed through the financial crisis. And so it was very tough for us to, to maintain that 40%. We're probably down to 30 right now uh, percent of AUM, maybe 26% of industrial. Now, we do like the mini storage, uh, the self-storage space, as you mentioned. Um, that is a specialty asset class within industrial. Um, and we've always been in that space. And we just, uh, we just quoted, we just locked up two deals uh, that total $80 million of, of self-storage. So it's a space that we've always been in. We've got some uh, borrowers that we uh, do a lot of business with. So because of the relationships and because we've been in this space uh, for a long time, we tend to get a little higher uh, share of our, of our market for that. Um, but having said that, the competition has gotten very stiff in that market and it has gotten much more acute um, now because people now aren't doing hotels, they're not doing retail, they're, they're tough, looking at office a little bit tougher. So that really just leaves you industrial multifamily and then multifamily you have to compete with Freddie and Fannie. So now industrial has become, it's probably even more competitive than it was even in uh, January and February. Are there certain markets in the country, like geographically, that you like better for industrial or? You know, um, pre-COVID, we, we, we liked industrial, you know, pretty much anywhere. I mean, you always liked it that was close to the interstate or a port or something like that. We're probably going to be a little more cautious on deals near ports or by the airport because we do think global trade may slow down a little bit and impact those properties. So we've been doing more of the, um, you know, probably more of the incubator space uh, type properties, smaller bay uh, assets as opposed to the big uh, box stuff, the 100, 200,000 square foot uh, boxes, but you know we're 
we still like it all. We're just going to be a little more cautious around ports and airports uh, until we can kind of see what the global trade model, uh, what global trade looks like going forward. But for the most part, if it's near an interstate and, and the trucks can get in and out, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, those models work pretty well. I've got a question on uh, something you had mentioned before, Greg, and, and that's regarding office space. Um, you, you've, you've mentioned that you still like office, but it will be particular on, on where you go there these days. And, right. uh, and I just was reading a headline on TREP this morning talking about uh, uh, another tenant suing to get out of its lease. Um, probably going to see a lot of that in the coming months. Um, what do you think that does to um, the office sector in general? Yeah, so office will be an interesting. Um, you know, first off, it could tend. You know, what's going to go on could be a little bit of a wash. Right now, when you really cram uh, people into an office space, it's probably one person per 350 square feet. I suspect when everybody gets back in, we're going to space out a little bit more, and so you'll probably see one person per 450, 550 square feet. So, you know, you'll people will need more office space potentially now. I, you, people may come back and say, look, out of my 100-person department, 25 people are going to end up working from home permanently, and then I'm going to take that extra space and spread people out. So, so from that perspective, it may be a wash uh, in, that, in that regard. Now, I, I think long-term, you know, some tenants aren't going to make it, and you're going to see, uh, as you discussed, you're going to see bankruptcies, people trying to get out of, out of, uh, out of their leases. Interestingly enough, I think where, where it's going to really suffer are going to be in the urban core. Um, people, you know, anybody that had to do a super commute. So if you're in Connecticut or New Jersey, you're not going to want to get on the uh, train to take, to get into Manhattan. Um, and so what does that mean? It means all of a sudden Connecticut office space, which was suffering immensely, now may look attractive again. Um, you know, I, I talked to a broker in Chicago yesterday and he mentioned that their tours of suburban office are up five, four to five fold. Um, and these are people in the urban core of Chicago now looking for space outside so their employees don't have to, to uh, use the uh, mass transit to get to work. So I think there's gonna be a lot of flux in office. And so it's gonna be a, I don't know what the answer finally is going to be, but you have to be very cognizant of these, uh, of these issues popping up. But one thing I will point out, if you remember after 9-11, um, everybody was like, nobody's ever going to want to lease a building over 30 stories again. Well, that lasted about a year, and then people forgot about it. So people's memories tend to be very short. I think this may be, you know, this may ding it, um, and, and I think this impact could be a little bit longer than what 9-11 had on, on core office in the, uh, in the market. Um, but I still think it's, it's not going to kill it overall. I mean, people's memories tend to be short. But I think in the next three to four years, it could be, uh, it could be a much different road uh, uh, to, uh, going down the office uh, uh, sector. That is interesting because if I recall correctly, uh, our reporters have done several stories over the past years about uh, how real estate in Stamford, for instance, was, you know, suffering. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, of course, uh, you know, much closer to a lot of the people, as you mentioned, who commute into New York City from Connecticut. So uh, yep. it'd be an interesting one to watch. Uh, yep. more and as you know, there was those, another... those two big, those are two big, huge trading desks um, in Stanford that were effectively empty. So that, that is a good point. What kind of office loans are, have you been making or if you've make, been making any in, since March? Yeah, so the ones that we're doing tend to be more of the light transitional. Um, it's an office building that's, that's uh, you know, lost some tenants and now they're releasing up. 
And so that's the office that we tend to be doing now. And we like that because uh, when we structure the loans, there's money for CapEx and for retenanting. And so those are the deals we're tending to do right now is, is just the deal that's uh, going through some sort of transition. Um, we're, we're looking at deals in Austin right now. And these are deals where, um, you know, they had a known vacate pre-COVID. Uh, they know they're, they're, uh, they're going to release the space. I think these deals are, are they're in suburban locations in Austin. I think they're going to release. So we're going to provide a tr like transitional loan. You know, they're 60% occupied the property is probably going to go back up to 90% as they lease up, and they just need that capital to, to get the property uh, uh, leased back up to 90%. So those tend to be the office deals we're doing now if we are going to do them. Uh, outside of that, we have looked at some uh, suburban deals, you know, low-rise, two- to three-story type deals, uh, stabilized, 90% occupied, uh, you know, and, and the LTV is probably going to be 60% LTV or less with a 20-type year amortization. So a very conservative loan if we're going to go on a stabilized asset. And are you seeing office loans uh, come, are you doing office loans that got kicked out or didn't get to, got, got left at the altar by CMBS as well as just like an industrial? Yeah, we haven't seen as many of those. Um, and so we, you know, we're, well, as I, as I mentioned, we're, we're very heavy in industrial. So a mortgage banker is going to kind of come to us with those deals because they know we'll execute. We're not as big office uh, lenders, so I suspect, you know, they we haven't seen some of those deals because they needed to go relatively quick, and they might have gone to a lender that might be a little more comfortable with office. So we just haven't seen as many of those recently. But uh, probably, you know, new deals, uh, meaning they're they're being they're they were being sold. Um, are, we're seeing more acquisitions right now in office, and that's probably more of the focus that we're looking at right now. Mm -hmm. the, like the IS it. market has opened up. Uh, the IS market has definitely opened up again. Where do you see uh, interest rates at the moment? I mean, where are you quoting for, say, a 55% LTV for industrial or office? Um, and, and where do you think they'll be maybe by the end of the year? I know it's hard to guess given how quickly things are changing, but... So uh, look, on the commercial side, and this, that means X multifamily, because multifamily's really uh, gotten very aggressive because of all the uh, Freddie and Fannie money out there. Um, but commercial deals are probably in that three and a quarter to three and a half range um, on general, in, in general. Um, and so that's where I think that go, you know, that goes, that's where those deals are going to print right now. Uh, looking forward, oh, man, I, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, uh, unknowns out there. I don't know if, if, um, if you're going to see, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the markets back up a little bit where you see spreads uh, pop out again. Um, I really don't think treasuries and, you know, and if I could predict treasuries, I'd be in the, in the islands right now, but I don't really, you know, I, I mean, I don't think treasuries going above 10 year going above 1%. So I think anything that you do, if you do see a movement in, in interest rates, it's going to be a spread movement and the spread movement's going to widen out because corporates uh, might've hit some sort of kind of stress. So that's where I'd be looking for any kind of movements in yield. It would be a spread movement due to uh, a movement in corporate bonds because most insurance companies like us or, or other lenders are relative value, and meaning that we use corporate bonds as a, uh, as, as a proxy. So if we see corporate bonds move out and spread, we'll move our spreads out also in commercial real estate. Um, Greg, I have a question. Um, 
uh, I see here in your bio that uh, you were an appraiser at you know one point in your life. Um, and uh, we're just talking about a lot of like all the unknowns out there and you know the, the whole commercial real estate sector is sort of in transition, one could argue. Um, how does one come up with, uh, with an accurate appraisal these days? I mean, is there, you know, when, uh, is, is, is there like a push to by some out there to perhaps inflate the appraisals? That's a great question. Um, so we had a lot of conversations with appraisers um, and, and, you know, and I was one for many years. Um, most of them are just, cause there's no sales comps. Um, so that's tough. So they're really looking to see at the rental market. Um, and, and what you're seeing in the rental markets are relatively, you're not seeing a huge discount in new leasing um, and you're seeing some activity in the new leasing space. So I think an appraiser is gonna look at how any discounts to, to leasing. So if you're an office property and it went and you thought you were gonna be pre-COVID $25 a square foot and now you're 22, the appraiser is gonna take that into account, uh, but obviously nothing's selling. So he can't really use any sales comparables out there. So a lot of the appraisers just told us, look, we're just gonna move the cap rate up by 25 to 50 basis points. And then we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of do there. Um, Cause I just don't see anybody out there uh, thinking that the, the value of a property is gonna be worth more now than it was in February. Now, here's the one thing I will say, um, the deals that we're seeing where people are back in the investment sales market, where they're looking, you know, they, they, if they were looking at something in March, they stopped. Now they're back looking at the deals again. I think initially buyers came back in looking for discounts. They're not getting the discounts. And so they tend to be almost at the same value that they were pre-COVID. But I still think the appraisers are going to put a little bit of a discount on there, knowing that there's got to be some sort of decline in value in some form or fashion in the next, uh, next call it 12 months. And how have you, um, all lenders are sort of grappling with um, forbearance and relief requests, or there was the first wave of it is, uh, but uh, how have you sort of approached that? What's your thinking on on those, yep. any requests you've gotten? Yeah, so we, we did, you know, we got a lot of requests in initially, and and then it was interesting. We, we had to do a triage. We we're trying to figure out who really needed the help and who was looking for a free lunch. Um, mm -hmm. And what happened was, as we got a little bit deeper into this in April and May, people came, called us up going, you know what, I put in for a forbearance request, just kidding, my rent collections were good. Or some of the people, um, you know, we required a pre-negotiation agreement, we required a legal deposit, we required um, to get last year's financials all the way through the end of the year. And some people were like, look, if I could get a forbearance with not a lot of work, I was gonna take it, but since I got a, you know, provide you all this information. It's just not interesting enough for me to do it. So we saw a lot of requests just go away um, because rent collections are good or they just don't want to deal with it. So what that left us with, with, with borrowers that, that truly needed it. So we analyzed each property and really we're trying to dig in to see if they needed it or not. And if they needed it, we gave it to them. And one of the things we we're trying to be very proactive with uh, was on retail. We wanted to make sure that our retail borrowers knew that we were, we were going to agree to a forbearance that we'd work with them as a lender. So then they could go try and work with their mom and pops. So the pizza store guy or, or anybody like that, because we knew that the, uh, you know, if the, if the small mom and pop goes out, it's going to cost a lot of money to retenant the, the space. It could take a year to retenant the space. Then you got to pay for TI leasing commissions. And so as a, as a way to make sure that we help maintain value, we wanted to make sure we were there for the borrower so they could be there for their tenant. 
So that's why we were very proactive on the retail deals to make sure we could help out. The only thing that happened that we didn't think was going to happen is a lot of the big boxes, mm-hmm. those guys stopped paying, um, which was a little, you know, our intention was to try and help the small guy. And then mm-hmm. these big guys that had money stopped paying, which was a little infuriating, um, uh, especially, you know, Starbucks was looking for rent concessions. Um, all these guys that even guys that were doing, in, you know, pick up on the curb that were still making money. They were, you know, they were just trying to get a free lunch or they're trying to get a, a way to renegotiate their lease. And that was kind of disappointing because we felt as lenders and the borrowers, we were really trying to help out the small guys. Um, you know, look, there's a reason why we want to, you know, one, you want to help these guys out just because that's the backbone of the economy, but also it was going to help maintain the value of our property. Um, so that was really our look at, at forbearance was really to make sure that the borrowers had the ability to help the tenants that needed that help in the short term. Uh, similarly, did you see what were you seeing in terms of forbearance and rent uh, payments on the office side? Uh, st- we're starting to see a trickle of like lawsuits, like landlords, you know, suing um, office tenants, like a pretty large law firm here in Chicago, Jenner and Block, for not paying rent uh, based on a clause. Uh, you know, um, you know. Uh, so, are you seeing uh, what kind of um, non-payment levels are you seeing, or payment levels are you seeing in office? You know, look. Out of we have twelve hundred loans in the books. Um, yeah. Only one office property is struggling with their tenants. Other than that, we don't see any. We're not seeing any stress in our office portfolio now. That doesn't mean you might not see something pop up down the road, but right now it's just been all retail and hotel for us. Very little office issues. In fact, one loan, one office loan is where we're seeing a little bit of stress. And even then it's not, uh, it's not extreme. And is that from the rent side up that then gets kicked to the debt side or where's the stress you're seeing there? Uh, you know, it's, it's with the tenants. It's with a, uh, it's, it's typically the, the story that we got on this deal was the, the, it was a deal in, in Philadelphia. Uh, the governor, uh, you know, wouldn't let the tenants uh, go into the office space. So basically their take on it was, well, if I'm not allowed to go in the office space because uh, the government doesn't allow me, I'm not paying you rent. So that was really the, the, uh, the, the, the background of why they didn't want to pay. Now, as, as we sit right now, we just got, um, information for, um, uh, for, for June, uh, all the tenants are paying rent for this particular property. So it probably had a three month period where rent wasn't being paid. And we did give that particular office uh, client a, uh, forbearance and, and, but, but now all the rents are paying, the tenants are paying. So we're not seeing the same things you guys are seeing, at least in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Okay, um, everybody, I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode of ABS in Mind. Uh, thanks to Greg Mouchard of Voya and our real estate reporters, Maura Sadovi and Gwelda Voyen. Uh, this is Al Yoon. I'm your host. Um, see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you're hungry for the skinny on asset-backed bonds, residential and commercial mortgage debt, consider debtwire.com or just tune in here next time. Also look to us on social media. 